talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Andrew Gillis, Nathan Baird. It's Tuesday, and there was a lot of fun stuff I was planning to do this week at Ohio State one championship just some because they're playing they would have been playing iowa and listen that would have been fun and for who? hilarious for a lot of different reasons yeah uh, um <laughs> there's, there's nothing about iowa football that i find fun <laughs> well the good thing is you don't have to go watch them play football on saturday nathan you get to have your saturday be free to do whatever it is you want to do it but in the meantime it's tuesday and we're gonna do a rapid fire there have been rants venting questions all of the above coming through our tech service 614-350-3315 ever since ohio state's 30 to 24 loss and so we're just going to run through a little of them here some of these will be on the site too we do hey nathan's hey andrew hey stevens a lot of times so some of these will be on the site cleveland.com slash osu go check that out but they're going to start right here on this pod and we're going to start with this question from jay in san francisco what's the over under on coaching changes in the offseason I can think of three reasonable ones, Parker Fleming, Corey Dennis, Larry Johnson, which they put in parentheses the fact that he might just retire because, you know, he's old. But what's the over-under? Well, Nathan, we'll start with you. If you had to <laughs> – if you had to guess how many coaching changes there are for Ohio State, what would, you, what would your over-under be? Well, so here's the thing that's that's tricky right now is that there is – the ones that we think they might make a change for from a performance standpoint or just to reconfigure the staff, which I actually think maybe that is the least likely because Jay hasn't done it to this point. And then there's the people who could just leave on their own. Um, you know, Justin Fry has been uh, dangled out there as somebody who would be potentially interested in the Indiana job or Indiana would be interested in him. He's an Indiana or Indiana player from the state, everything. You know, um, Tony Alford has gone for head coaching jobs in the past. Like, you know, there, there, are, there are some other guys out there. So I would set the over under at like two and a half, if I had to guess. And that's not that that sounds like, oh, man, they're going to get rid of three assistant coaches. No, it's like also it's also taking into account that uncertainty of guys just getting opportunities you know kevin wilson going to toledo those sorts of things that just happen um and something like larry johnson retiring that speculation is going to happen at his age every year until he does he has not talked in the past when it's brought up as if he's winding down he usually answers pretty incredulously to the idea that he is close to retirement so we'll see if uh, because I don't see that as being someone that they would just push aside. I think it would have to be his choice. So that one is, I think, very much an unknown. But I think there are uh, there's at least one other where I think I would be just shocked if they didn't make a change just because the way that that position is performing, the special teams, is not worth what you pay in resources, and I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about just in the 10 countable coaches, it's it's not syncing up, and this team is not performing top to bottom as efficiently and as crisply as it needs to, from special teams to other areas that would be influenced if you had a different coach on the staff. 
I might say money too, but you know that's neither here nor there. Uh, for, the Larry Johnson for point, what they pay assistant coaches, what he makes, what Parker Fleming makes is not a problem. No, that's that's fair. That, yeah, he is on the lower end of the scale like in terms of the assistant coaches on the staff. Yeah, that's fair. The Larry Johnson point. It can be his choice, but do you think it can be, you know, guided, that choice? Just given age, yeah. the defensive line played well this year, but it hadn't been in years past. The recruiting has been kind of up and down at times. And then obviously there's the conversation of whether he and Jim Knowles are on the same page with how they want to do things defensively. Can it be, you know, suggested along at this point and where Larry Johnson's career is? It can, but I would – so this is a bad analogy because Greg Strudrawa and Larry Johnson I would not equate as to what they've accomplished in their careers. But in 2021, when they eventually moved on from – after 2021, when they moved on from Greg Strudrawa, you had a bad performance at the end of the year that was predicated mm-hmm. by more problems within that year. And in, it manifested itself in the worst way in the Michigan game. I think people who are looking at the final drive of Michigan's in this game and how they were able to run the ball and eat up a lot of clock as the reason to fire or move on or whatever from Larry Johnson. And I don't think they would fire him. I think it would have to be his choice um, by, by his own choice or by coercion, I guess, whatever. Um, I just, I, I think that's a little bit reactionary now. The other thing to think about here, though, with Larry Johnson is, so we think that multiple guys from this defensive line are going on to the NFL draft. Maybe only a couple, but maybe as many as four. So you're going into next year with sort of a very much a rebuild. And do you want to be the guy who oversees that? Or if you're if you are at that stage of your career where you're ready, you think you're close to moving on. Are you ready to just pass the torch to someone else who who restarts this in their own mold with their own philosophies, that sort of thing? I, I, that may be part of his equation. I don't know. Like I said, he he doesn't open up about this stuff very much. And when he does, it's usually um, I'm tired of people asking me when I'm going to retire, which didn't sound like someone. Again, it has never sounded to me like someone who is just uh, burnt out and ready to move on. Fair, but also I think everybody would be tired if people asking if they're going to retire if they get it for five straight years. But fair point. No, no, no. Andrew, what's your over under? I'll tell you this. I'm the son of two school teachers, and I've known a lot of school teachers over my the course of my life. Some that are like my wife's age right now. You can ask them, like, "Hey, when are you going to retire?" And they can tell you like down to the day, like based on the based (laughs) on the the teacher's contract schedule. So um, I'm not making fun of teachers. I'm just saying that's one profession where I've seen where, especially you get someone, you ask a teacher in their fifties, like, Hey, when are you going to retire? And they'll be like, well, probably like on this exact day in six years or whatever. So it, it, you know, there are people who are more upfront about the fact that they're ready to move on with their life. Shout out to those people. I can't wait to be one of those people in 45 years. Maybe never. Who knows? Andrew, what's your over under on potential staff subtractions? Yeah, it, I think it has to be two and a half um, because you like Nathan made, you know, the point that I was going to make, you, you kind of have to bake it in, you know, a, an element of people getting other jobs. 
um, because I, I think there is an element of of staff departure that is healthy. You know, I think a lot of people do kind of think of staff departures as, hey, you know, you got to get rid of Parker Fleming mm-hmm. because he's terrible, and you got to get rid of you know Corey Dennis because what is he? And you can just kind of go down the line. This guy's got to go. This guy's got to go. He's not good enough. Not good enough. Well, there is also an element like, I mean, pick a guy on the staff you think did really well. Uh, Tim Walton. I, we can I, do that. Bad exa- maybe a bad example can- because he just he played at Ohio State and whatever. But like Tim Walton, I mean, what if uh, an NFL team comes along and says, we think you're a great defensive coordinator. Come along. Like that doesn't mean Ohio State did anything wrong, right? Like that doesn't mean Ohio State has to get rid. You know, Ohio State is getting rid of Tim Walton. Tim Walton just did a really good job at the corners and somebody might take notice. Some college might take notice and say, we want to make you a coordinator. And Tim Walton says, that's what I want to do. Or, you know, an NFL team comes along and says, you did a great job. We want to bring you back to the league and we want you to be an NFL secondary coach again. You know, you did it before. We want you to do it again. Like there is an element of this where, you know, it's, I, I think two and a half is a fair number because there is an element of this, like I'm saying, where there are departures that are going to happen every year that are for the best for probably for the program, but also maybe for the, uh, you know, for the coaching staff as a whole. But there is also an element of this where sometimes people leaving means you're doing good things. Sometimes people leaving for better jobs isn't an indictment of the head coach and isn't an indictment of the program. It just means that, you know, Hey, you've got a lot of great assistant coaches or a lot of good assistant coaches that other people want. And, you know, I mean, Justin Fry is one of them, and you know if Ohio State is is going to lose him to be a head coach, you're not going to look at if another program in the Big Ten deems Justin Fry good enough to be its head coach, you're not going to look at the Justin Fry thing as saying ah, you know had to get rid of Justin Fry because you know X Y Z. You're going to look at that and say okay, well somebody values this man, somebody thinks he's a good guy, somebody thinks he's a good coach. So I, I think two and a half is a fair number because you have to bake in the departures that fans want to make, you know, I know, you know, we're going to talk about special teams and everything like that. You know, you have to bake that in, but you also have to bake in. Sometimes people just get better jobs. Sometimes people can leave for their own reasons. I think the fry one is interesting because while it can be viewed as a good thing when an assistant on your staff gets a head coaching job elsewhere, in most situations it would be, but the offensive line recruiting hasn't necessarily gotten better since he's been hired. And, I mean, he was handed an offensive line that had a top 10 pick and then a gigantic human being at tackles with a second-year starting center, a five-star guard, and a fifth-year guard in 2022. So, of course, it looked pretty good for most of the year. And then this year, we didn't necessarily see that same thing from the development standpoint. So they had – and then they didn't necessarily go get high-end guys out of the portal. So I do think there's probably a mixed feelings – about how fans feel about Justin Fry and the job he's done the first two years. But let's do it. Let's do it. Before we get into some of these questions, let's just, let's grade. Let's grade some of these assistant coaches on their performance this year, just off the field stuff, like not the recruiting stuff, because that's an in-depth thing that we don't need to get into right now. But they've played 12 football games. They're not playing in the Big Ten Championship game. We don't know if they're going to the playoff or not, but you probably are leaning no. So let's do it. Let's grade the coaches. Nathan, let's start with Tony Alford. A through F, what grade will you give the performance of the running back coach this year based on the performance of his room? Based on the performance of the room. So without knowing exactly how much Tony was the one 
making the decision about the Dallin Hayden situation. I mean, assuming that, I mean, at the end of the day, that should be his call. It's his room. He's the, he's the position coach. I mean, it's a player's call. Actually, when you're talking about redshirt stuff, it, the player has to be involved in the decision too. But so I would say, I mean, I don't know. Trevin Henderson was pretty awesome. But down the stretch of this season, the reason we thought that Ohio state really had a chance to beat Michigan on Saturday was what Trevian Henderson did. And it was a, a three-year build to get there, but we did see it. So I'm inclined to say like A minus, B plus. Because the Dallin Hayden thing, as weird as it was, didn't cost him anything. Hasn't cost him anything yet anyway. And he's not the best running back in the room. You might make a case that he's second, but he's, he's not the best running back. I think I'm with you. I'm going to go A minus because the only reason Travion Henderson won't get a thousand yards this year is because he missed a good chunk of the season in the middle because of a, a, an injury that he suffered. If he doesn't miss those games, he probably has a thousand, but that makes with they lost to Michigan. So we'll see if he decides whether or not to play in a non college football playoff full game, because right now he's got 137 carries for 854 yards and 11 touchdowns plus 19 catches for 229 yards. So a thousand total yards, but the thousand yard rushing for the second straight year is more a product of circumstance than something he was doing performance wise. Andrew, where are you at? I, you know, I think I'm actually higher than you guys. I think I'm at an A because I don't think some of the running issues that they had earlier in the year were on the running backs. I think that was on the offensive line. So, okay. I mean, look, when, when Travion came back, yeah, the offensive line got better, but Harris Johnson didn't show up. You know, Luke Whipler didn't show up. Dewan Jones didn't show up. Like the offensive line was still the same. It was the same group of guys from game one to game 12. And like I said, yeah, they got better. But Trevion Henderson being in that mix just gave you a completely different look to that offense for much of the year. And I mean, when he was in the game, we talked about the things that he can give you just in the explosiveness category and what he can do. And I mean, I thought Chip Trainum ran well at times this year. And and that's obviously a credit to the coach. You can develop a guy like that who kind of changes over. So I I think it's an A because when, when you talk about where this running back room was, yeah, the numbers might not be that great, but I think they did the best of what they had and the best with what they could because a lot of those running game issues, I mean, against Indiana, Penn State, Notre Dame, like that's not, I don't, I'm not putting that on Tony Alford and the running backs. Let's go Heartline next. Nathan, what grade do you give Heartline? I mean, sort of incomplete because I don't know exactly what his influence was on the offense. <laughs> honestly yeah like so i'll just grading him as a wide receivers coach uh i guess i would probably say a minus b plus again as we talked after the game um or as we talked on the the, the rewatch pod steven like it doesn't feel like the wide receiver room like really maximized its potential this year i don't know how much of that is because the receivers didn't perform there were definitely more drops and loud ones than we thought there was going to be, including in the most important game of the year. You know, Marvin was Marvin though. And you helped Marvin be Marvin. And Marvin was this offense in an important way for pretty big chunks of the season. So I guess I probably have to say a minus. Marvin is the only thing reason that this isn't a C for me. Because he might be a Heisman trophy finalist. Maybe. It, maybe that took a huge hit by losing the Michigan, obviously, but I just don't think they were as productive and they didn't 
almost like raise the possible ceiling for what this quarterback could potentially be at times because they had some crucial drops, man. Crucial drops from some guys that you maybe were expecting to better from. So Marvin makes it a B minus for me when it would be a C without him. Andrew? Well, you just gave me a lot to chew on there. Um, yeah, I'm going to say B because, you know, your point was they could have elevated the quarterback. I have questions if the quarterback could have elevated them. You know, if the if the quarterback, you know, had the capability of elevating the wide receiver room to the level that it needed, you know, is it com like is it Kyle McCord or is it Julian Fleming or is it Brian Hartline? Like like where do you draw that line? So I don't know that it's Hartline or Fleming. Um and, and we'll get to the I'm sure conversation later about Kyle McCord and, and kind of that whole situation. But I'm at a B because again, the Marv thing, you it's Marv complicates things so much because you want to give Hartline a ton of credit for he creating the, your grade. Yeah. Like he's the best player in the country. And yeah. Yeah. Does his coach not deserve any credit for that? Of course he does. Like, of course you have to give the coach credit for the best player in the country, but like, I mean, what would our grade have been? Like, what would Nathan's grade have been if Nathan was the wide receivers coach for Ohio State this year and you had Marvin Harrison Jr.? Not as good, but you have Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, at some point, you could just put him on the field and it'll turn out all right. So I'm going to say B because I think, you know, I, I, I saw enough from Carnell Tate to where I feel good about him moving forward. Not to say that you needed it, um, but, you know, you feel good about where he's at moving forward. Um, and yeah, I think I think a B is is fair. The the marv of it all really does kind of throw a wrench into things. Nathan, if you were Ohio State wide receiver coach this year, <laughs> do you think Marvin Harrison Jr. would have still potentially put himself in the Heisman Trophy discussion, or would you have held him back? Um, I mean, I might have just fed him the ball to the detriment of like if that's what you're if you're if that's what you're going to judge me by whether he goes to New York or whatever. That's true. Okay, he's got twenty five <laughs> targets a game. That's not exactly a, a conducive <laughs> offense or a, a cohesive offense, probably. But yeah, I'll get him to New York for you. There you go. You might you might That's go four and eight, but I'll get you. To, I'll get him to New York. Okay, uh, let's do Dennis. But this is obviously, as we discussed, Nathan on the Monday pod. This is a Corey Dennis, Ryan Day, Todd Fitch conversation because it's it's a lot of it's a lot of people with voices in that quarterback room. And up till now, it hasn't been a problem. It wasn't a... Uh, Todd Fitz got here in, what, 2021? So it wasn't really a problem for T.J. Stroud in his two years. And having Corey Dennis and Ryan Day and whoever the analyst was in that room at that point in 2020 didn't hamper Justin Fields. And having Ryan Day and Mike Yursich and Corey Dennis as a GA at that point in the room didn't hamper Justin Fields. But it, ham- it may or may not have been a problem this year for Kyle McCord having that many voices in his ear. That collection, Nathan, how do you grade them on terms of the quarterback performance? Just that part, not everything else that we have to grade Ryan Day on a, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't separate them. I would say that you have to judge Corey Dennis on what Corey Dennis has done. And if, if his job mm. is so minimal that you have to lump other people in with him, then that's a staff position that should be better used some other way that and I have that is no judgment towards Corey Dennis at all but if that's how we're talking about this and we think that that's truly what's going on there 
then that's one way that you have not built your staff correctly to me. Like if you are going to be so involved still as the head coach in play calling and quarterback coaching um, that, that you don't need an offensive coordinator and you don't need a quarterback's coach or, or you're, you, you minimize the impact that you minimize the input that they have. What, what are we doing here? I just, it doesn't make sense to me. So I guess I would just give Corey Dennis like a C because, but I also think that maybe he's a C because um, his, his teacher is putting questions on the test that he never taught or something. I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's his fault. It just seems like an adequate use of a staff position. And again, I don't think that's, it has nothing no, no ill feelings towards Corey Dennis, and I don't know that he's done a bad job. I'm just talking about how that position is used on this staff. Andrew, yeah, I'm at a C minus. I guess to further Nathan's point, I guess the example would be like you give the group project a C minus, but you're not quite sure how who did what in that group project. You know, it was a take home project, and all you're looking at is a C minus, and you're like, wonder who did what. Wonder which, which, how much of this project was done by Ryan and Corey? Like, and you're you're looking at it. How much of this was done by this, and how much is this? So, I I give the entire kind of operation a C minus because there were just the the staff is what it is, and, and Nathan makes a good point there. But there were just moments this year where I thought, you know, quarterback play could have been better. Um, you know, you, you kind of had some, some buildup here where just a couple you, moments, just a couple just of a few. moments, just one or two. Um, mm-hmm. you, you had some buildup where you had runway to, to elevate a, a player who had been in the program for a little bit. And this was not like I, I and I would even grade this on a curve. I'm not trying to say that if, if he's not the number two overall pick level, like I'm not giving him an A. I think you can understand that eventually you're not going to have a top three pick. Eventually you're not going to have a first round quarterback at quarterback. And that's not to say fine, but it is kind of fine. You know, you're not always going to hit on a do like that every single year. You're not always going to have a first round quarterback every single year. So even grading on that curve, I just think that there should have been more development and more progression than there was and there were some of the same issues that we saw, you know, in that first big game of the year at Notre Dame. I think we saw them in the Michigan game, and and that's why it's a C minus. I would also say though, to go Andrew, back to the point I was C-. making. To go back to the point I was making, though, real quick, you could look at it the opposite way, which is if if you have that many people involved in the quarterback job, then that Mm-hmm. should make your quarterback performance even more refined. You can split those duties up. And as long as it isn't a situation where he's got too many voices, it should make the quarterback performance even better. And the whole endeavor going back to the end of last season was to get two quarterbacks who were like starting caliber. And and I think beyond just starting caliber, starting caliber at the Ohio State standard. And I don't know that we saw evidence of that. And that's not – that's – that's more about Devin Brown than it is about Kyle McCord, frankly. Like, it seemed like Devin Brown was, like, close, but was probably even more inconsistent than Kyle McCord was. So did, you know, are you are we grading just on what happened this year, or does what Corey Dennis was doing the past two years to get these guys ready for this moment, did we see evidence of whether or not that happened this year? Like, that's that's part of the grade, too, I think. 
you just pushed me down to a D because that's a good point. One, there's a lot of different people who are teaching in that room. Two, your starting quarterback's been an assistant for three years. And I understand that there's some things you can't learn until you get on the football field, but there are some things that three years into the system you would think would have been more developed along because we've seen other people be in year three and be better than this. And I'm not all, I'm not just talking about Dwayne Haskins throwing 50 touchdown passes in year three or Mac Jones being the epitome of efficiency. And when he took over in Alabama full time, we've seen other quarterbacks be a little more consistent than Kyle McCord was at times for a guy who was in year three and is supposed to have this many people who are cooking in the kitchen. So, yeah, I'm giving him a D. I'm giving the quarterback thing a D. No, I'm giving the collective a D. I'm giving Corey Dennis a P for Prentice Aaron Nolan because that's the one thing I know for sure he had an impact on. Everything else, I'm still very much not sure about how that worked out. Justin Fry. Go ahead, Nathan. I mean, I don't... You said before not to include recruiting stuff, so... Uh, here's my thing with Fry and the offensive line situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was taking over a tough job because of where things were left for him. But you had you had two years to coach those guys up, and it wasn't that good this year. It never really got to a place where you were like really excited about things that were happening on the offensive line. But I would also say, like, if you go position by position. Like, how many of them underperformed what you think they should be doing this year? And when I first had that thought, I was like, well, actually, you know, it's, it's you know, it's mm. uh, the expectations weren't that high for those guys. But like Donovan Jackson was not, did not build off of what he was last year. You know, Matt Jones mm-hmm. was kind of fine. Josh Fryer, I think this is probably maybe what he is. So that I would put mm-hmm. him in the category of maybe there wasn't more were higher to go with him. I think Carson Hensman was maybe as good as he was supposed to be at this point. I think Josh Simmons was as good as he's supposed to be at this point. But not, you know, not finding a solution within to like bring more out of Donovan Jackson when we thought that that was really going to be a weapon for this team. And I know maybe he was influenced by the struggles that the guys on either side of him had. But uh, if if you think you're like a legit NFL talent, maybe that shines through a little bit more by your third year. And then on top of that, the transfer portal options that they ended up with were, you know, Vic Cutler, who barely saw the field and who from the day that they got his commitment, I thought was just fill it was just depth. And never thought that that was a guy who was going to contend to play on this offensive line. And then Simmons, who, you know, at least Fry had a previous, you know, a previous relationship with him. If he really was better than all the other options that they could use um i guess that that give him some credit for that that he could reach back and pull that guy up by the end of the year it started to look better but as a whole it it wasn't a year where you thought that they got more out of the offensive line to me that's maybe the mark of how you get an a it's like are you getting more out of that group Mm -hmm. than another coach would i don't really think i saw that with this offensive line and i certainly don't see it in recruiting but even if we're not including that um, this is like a, a a B minus for me because the 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 offensive line could have been a catastrophe of for reasons that had nothing to do with Justin Fry, and at least he mitigated that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. 
That's fair. He didn't ma- he didn't overachieve, but he didn't underachieve either. And there's something to that. Like it, and it did gradually get better, even if getting better only meant going from like a four out of ten to like a six out of ten. Andrew, which grade? Yeah, um, you know, I wanted to say, <laughs> I was hoping my B minus that I was going to say was going to be kind of shocking to people. But yeah, it's a B minus because I think when you talk about the offensive line room, you're losing Paris Johnson and you're losing Dewan Jones and you're losing Luke Whipler. And it's one thing if a program like a, I don't know, like an Iowa, like a Notre Dame, like a Wisconsin, like a Michigan, like if one of those programs loses those guys, guess what? You have another Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, Luke Whipler right behind him. You've got dudes who you know are going to get drafted in a year's time, right? Like, you know that there are NFL players, that there are genuine All-American level potential players coming up behind them. That's just the way that those things work at those programs. It's the same thing like Ohio State at receiver. You know, you can say every, oh man, how how are you going to replace Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and this and that and the other? And then you say, oh wait, we have Marvin Harrison Jr. coming right behind him. We're good. And it's just that way at offensive line. But it just didn't happen where you can't ask Josh Simmons to be Paris Johnson. That's just not who he is, and that's not going to happen. You, you can't ask, you know, Fryer to be Josh Fryer. You can't ask him to be Dewan Jones because that's just not who he is. That's just not what's going to happen. And I think it's a B minus because you have to grade kind of on what he was given. And yeah, th- he was in his second year, but the offensive line is such a development position that you do start to see things down the line. You know, this was not a receiver position where, hey, receivers can play year one and year two, they're expected to be starters or be contributors. You know, offensive line does typically take a lot of time. And you mentioned Hinsman. Hinsman was in his second year, and I mean, Hinsman was maybe as good as he should have been, and he just had to start, and that was the position that Fry and Ohio State's offensive line was in. So I think it's B minus because I think what happened was fine with what they had, and I would have questions about like how much better it could have gotten. So I'm going to go first with Keenan Bailey. I think I'm going to give him an A because. There's, a, I mean, Cade Stover has kind of regressed as a blocker in some ways, but as he's regressed as a blocker, he's progressed as a receiver and a receiving threat. And given how just some injuries worked out with these weapons, that was almost more important at times. And then I thought G. Scott at times was a pretty quality blocker in that room. And then, you know, listen, we, we saw Jelani Thurman flash, and that's where the future is, is how quickly can Jelani Thurman get on the field? next year if that's really a possibility but i think g scott's consistent progression as a wide receiver turn tight end mixed with the production cade stover was able to give you in the receiving game even if it at times the blocking it wasn't as bad as 2022 but it wasn't as good as maybe you were hoping it would be i think i'm going to give keenan bailey an a what about your name yeah i guess so um and that's i'm not trying to be dismissive it's just that like it's such a small room you know, it's like it's <laughs> such a small room uh-huh. and it has it's an important impact, though. I mean, as much as Ryan Day wants to play two tight ends and, you know, they they got the best of G Scott that they've gotten so far. I think that's fair to uh-huh. say. And Stover did. 
while I do also have some qualms with the blocking, the as a receiving weapon, there was another notch, and it was one that they needed. Like I, I coming into the season, I was a little bit like lukewarm on like that there, there being a big boost there because I was like, well, he's not the primary look, right? You've got he's your fourth option on a lot of plays, but he became a really important security blanket for Common Cord. So I'm fine calling that an A. I think it was a good debut for Keenan. I think it is going to be interesting a year from now, like, you know, Stover leaving, you know, uh, Scott and Royer have eligibility. I think we'll see how, you know, what, what the situation is with those guys, but you got Thurman coming and we saw glimpses of Thurman this year too. That looks promising. So if without projecting too much ahead, it seems like a good start for him too. So I'll, I'll call it an A as well. Andrew, you're going to join us. Yeah, I think so. It's hard with the tight ends room because like Nathan was saying, you're not talking about a ton of you're you're not talking about a ton of guys that are going to play at that position. It's not receiver where you can see, you know, almost double digit guys playing a year offensive line or whatever. It's it's a position that remains pretty limited. Um, But Cade Stover had a really good year. And you like what you saw from Jelani Thurman, and you feel like there was some development there with him and G. Scott. So I think an A is fair because everything that you saw with your eyes would indicate that it was an A. Okay. Let's do defense. But first, we're all giving Parker Fleming an F, correct? I, I just don't know what other – I don't know what other grade is correct. possible. I don't know what other grade is possible. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Some fa- as everybody that listens to this screams F minus into their phone or f- computer or whatever. Uh, so cool. I guess maybe that's possible. Cool. Let's move forward. Yeah. Larry Johnson, Nathan. Uh, I mean, the defensive line was really good, really strong. Um, you got it's great jump out of Tyleek Williams. You saw progress from your ends, even if I know they didn't become first-team All-Americans, but they got better in their third years. I'm inclined to still call it an A because of just how really dominant this defensive line was at times this year. Andrew? I give him an A-. A-. Um thought the D I mean the Tyreek Williams thing was I mean that was kind of a revelation you you felt really good about where he was at um you know Jack Sawyer like really came on late you know he played some of his best football I I made this comment to you guys after that you know I think it was the Minnesota game um or maybe it was the Michigan I don't even remember anymore time runs you know so close together in these last couple of weeks but I was like Jack Sawyer's net worth has done crazy things these last couple of weeks like Jack Sawyer, I think, had a really good year, and, and there were some of the kind of underrated things. So, yeah, I, I think with for what the rotation was and what it was not, I feel pretty good about where this defensive line was at this year with, with, with the talent that they had and kind of some of the development that you saw. Yeah, I'm giving it an A. There's no superstar. It's not Chase Young, Joy Bosa, or anything like that, but I think there's a lot of quality dudes. And quite frankly, JT Tuimaloa might be a first-round draft pick. So you have to – there's a first-round draft pick on Ohio State's offensive, defensive line, and you have to bake that into the conversation here. You can't separate this one, so I'm not going to ask you guys to do it. Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. 
Um, well, how is he the linebackers coach still? Like, um, we know Laurinaitis. We <laughs> I mean, know Laurinaitis can... is heavily involved there. We know Laurinaitis is heavily involved and coordinating the defense. One of the best defenses in the country going into that game, and still in that game. I know people have some consternation about things that happened defensively in that game, but the defense gave up. You know, we said all year, like one or two touchdowns. Like, how many is the defense going to give up? Well, if they don't have to defend a first and goal from the seven that is just thrust upon them, then they only give up two touchdowns in this game. And Ohio State wins, probably. I'm, I'm, it's an A. It's an A. Andrew? Yep. Uh, it's an A. Um, I mean, I thought Knowles did a remarkable job this year with what the defense was, what it helped Ohio State to be. I mean, you can go look back at the game logs for some of these weeks and just kind of point out like, man, if the offense plays as poorly as they did, as mediocre as they did, as whatever as they did, whatever word you want to use there, if they didn't play that type of way then where is this team at if the defense and you know the linebackers weren't kind of what they were so thought it you know the the again the linebackers comments funny but and and it's fair um i think an a is is where i would land with Knowles. let's do perry eliano next go ahead andrew you can go first this time <sighs> the so there's no recruiting in this which Correct. is yeah so i'm gonna give him a uh, i'm a minus b plus probably b plus um i i thought you saw things from sunny styles that made you feel good about where this team was and then like you point to the development of josh proctor what Lathan Ransom was to this defense. I think you saw it in the Michigan game on kind of where they could have used him and where they could have really needed a guy like Lathan Ransom on the back end. Um, actually, you know what? I just kind of talked myself into an A minus. So I'm going to say A minus because yeah. I think the the safeties were at a level with Proctor and with Ransom and with Styles that you just felt really good about the way that those guys played this year. So A minus. I mean, I just. I think we're drawing this out too much. Like, I don't know who on defense isn't an A. Like, all all these coaches did yeah. their job, and that's why this defense is so good. Like, it was it was it was, it was they were excellent at every level all season long, at every place on this defense. And for Perryano, you know, somebody like Malik Hartford is ready to play as a true freshman. You can just plug him in there as needed. You know, other other guys that you could um, that got kind of pressed into duty, and they they came out looking pretty solid. Um, you got the most out of Josh Proctor that anyone's ever gotten. He became like, went from like this forgotten guy at the start of the spring. Oh yeah. He is here for 60 year to be in like, Oh, this might be like an all big 10 player. Like, and he did that. Like he got, helped get him there. So it's gotta be an A. The, yeah, that's probably fair. There's, I probably should have just asked, is there anybody on defense that's not an A? Cause I'm pretty sure we're giving Tim one an A as well. Let's yeah. take a quick break there. That was question one. Um, I didn't give them that many questions, though. There's only about seven questions on this list, though. So we'll wrap. We'll go through the other six questions here when we come back from the break here on Buckeye Talk. We're back here on Buckeye Talk. Get the text 614-350-3315 if you want to get news, analysis, thoughts, concerns. If you want to vent to us, if you want to ask questions when we do rapid fire pods, anything, anything you want, you can get with this text. Two-week free trial, $3.99. After that, 614-350-3315. 
1-5. This is from Nathan in Middle Tennessee. Nathan, I don't know. Do you have a Middle Tennessee uh, area code that you want to tell us about? First I've not spent a lot of time in Middle Tennessee. I've spent a decent amount okay. of time in Memphis. I spend as little time in Nashville as I can get away with. Never really that much in the middle of the state, though. You don't like Nashville? I think it's like the most overrated city in America. Wow. Oh, that's it's super a very corporate. Wrong. Wow. It's a very that's corporate very plastic tough. city. And if you're, if you for someone who doesn't like like bro country, it's tough to be in Nashville. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's a fair point. And this is also from the WM in Texas, because this is both going to, they're both asking the same thing here. And a lot of Texers actually asked about this concept from Nathan in middle Tennessee. How do things from here on out play out from McCord and Day? Does he stick with McCord or go with Brown? Do we try to wrangle in Manning like Maurice Claret was doing on Twitter, which is he's talking about Arch Manning potentially pulling somebody out of the portal. And then from WM in Texas, do you think McCord will be our starter next season? And if not, is it air or a transfer portal guy? Let's just tackle all of this in one question because it's it's out there. Nathan is Ohio. Do you think Ohio State will explore the portal for a potential starting quarterback? But also, is has Kyle McCord played at a level? Let me hold on. Do you think Kyle McCord is for sure going to be Ohio State's starting quarterback in 2024? Let's answer that part first. Is it locked up guaranteed that he is the Ohio State starting quarterback next season? You know, I guess I wouldn't say locked up. I don't know that he gets the same benefit of the doubt that Fields or Stroud got after their first year. Because even though they're mm-hmm. bringing in obviously pretty talented quarterbacks, like Stroud comes in for Fields' second year, but there was never any question that Justin Fields was going to be the starting quarterback there. He was a Heisman Trophy finalist, and everyone expected him to come back and, and perform at that same level. I think there is more room here for an, an usurping to happen, I suppose. Whether it happens via the portal, I don't know. There's other talented quarterbacks that Ohio State has here. And that's the other thing you have to remember is, if who are you getting from the portal? If you're getting someone from the portal, you're almost having to take someone who you're telling you're going to start as far mm-hmm. as like the starting quarterback, right? Because they're not going to come here and comp- if they may only have one year left or whatever. They, they're they not going to come here, compete for a job, and then end up getting stuck maybe like third on the depth chart. Like maybe they can't beat out um, Brown or Keenholz or Nolan or whoever. So I think fixing, and I don't even know if fixing is the right word. I think adding to this room at the top via the portal, I just haven't heard that name yet who that would possibly be. I do think they're going to get transfer portal quarterbacks because whether there's attrition, you know, they're losing Tristan Jebbia. Brian day wants four scholarship quarterbacks in that room. We don't know what Devin Brown's thinking is at this point and where that's going to go in the coming months. I just think that you have to be open if you're Ryan day right now, I think to, you at least have to take a hard look at Devin Brown and what he gained from the past year, and then what he is now. Whether that means you're declaring a fully open competition again, I think I might be a little bit surprised by that, because the Common Core performance this year was not, again, like a... a what, what, What's the word I mean looking for? Like a catastrophe? I think I already used that word to describe something else. I, it just wasn't as sharp as it needed to be in certain areas. But that's a lot. That's what all 
everything is about like <laughs> progressing from your first year as a starter to the second is cleaning those things up and becoming a better version of the quarterback you already are. Andrew, do you think Kyle McCord is for sure 100% Ohio State starting quarterback next season? No, but it's close. Um, I look at, I think that Ohio State had, did not see enough from its quarterback position this year to where you could immediately in a vacuum rule out the transfer portal. I just don't know who you're going to get that you, like Nathan was saying, is for sure better than Kyle McCord. Like, think about some of the guys that entered the portal last year as just kind of a, you know, just kind of a bar for where these things are. Shudder Sanders, I mean, I don't even know if you want to say he entered the portal because we knew he was going to Colorado. Yeah, that's not right. portal. His yeah, dad just got hired like, somewhere else. Sam Hartman entered the portal. DJ Uangalale entered the portal. Graham Mertz. Um, I'm trying to think the, uh, uh, the kid that went to NC state Leary. Did you just mention noodle arm on this pod? That's, but see, that's (laughs) what I'm saying, right? Like that, like who are the, some of the guys that are rumored to enter the portal this year? Like, I know I saw a lot of people talking about Toledo's quarterback. Like, is that where you're at? You know, I, Mike Elko, as I mean, we record that the transfer portal can change any second, but Mike Elko just left for Texas A&M. Texas A&M might need a quarterback. So does Riley Leonard follow him there? Does Riley Leonard say he's entering the portal? And does, is Riley Leonard a guaranteed upgrade over Kyle McCord? Is Will Rogers from Mississippi State who entered the portal a guaranteed upgrade over Kyle McCord? I don't think it's, so. No. Uh, yeah. So I, but that, so I, that kind of proves my point. Like, I think you have to look into it a little bit and see what you think. And then I also think there has to be a quarterback competition in the spring and into the fall again. I think you have to do this song and dance over again. I don't think you can just say, I mean, and also for transfer portal reasons with, with, you know, Devin Brown, like I think you also want to give everybody the chance to win this job. It shouldn't be blocked off to anybody. So I say it's close to hundred percent. Because I just don't know what the alternative is, right? Like there is not a, we're going to get Justin Fields out of the portal and he's going to start immediately presenting itself right now in big flashing neon signs. And that's the way sometimes these portal things work. Sometimes they happen very, very quickly. And then all of a sudden everything is different five minutes later than it was before. So I say no. Because I just, I think you have to open it up to every option. I just don't think you're going to find a better one. Justin Fields is a one-off in terms of the type of talented quarterbacks you can find in the port. Because you mentioned Shador, he followed his dad. And even Caleb Williams, his coach got a new job, and then he followed his coach to that job. Justin Fields was literally, I'm a super, super talent who did not see a road to the field. And so I left and genuinely anybody could have gotten him. And Ryan day went out and got him. I don't think there's been a quarterback like that. That's entered the portal ever since that situation has happened and played out that way where it fundamentally changes, but it also synced up perfectly because Ohio state lost to Wayne Haskins and their options were Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin. So that combination of 
That's not a pretty good quarterback room. Potential generational quarterback in the portal. Let's link up. I don't think that's going to happen again for a long time. I think the problem is, and I love the way you worded it, Andrew. You said, I don't think Ohio State thinks it got everything it could have gotten out of Kyle McCord this year. I don't know how Ryan Day views Kyle McCord's season yet. And I think that's part of the issue because we all are, can sit here and say, if, 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 if I was in that position and had to make that decision, I think personally I would have an open competition because you don't recruit the room this way to not have an open competition when you yeah, don't have C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields coming back for year three and second year as a starter as a Heisman Trophy finalist. This is why you do it. We, Nathan, we yeah. sat in his office and we asked him, why do you recruit the room this way? What if you're wrong? Well, Ryan Day... You haven't been wrong yet, but you might be wrong this time around. Clemson was wrong. I think we think Clemson was wrong with DJ. That might just be a Clemson problem in their development. But they didn't have anybody to move off of in that situation. Oklahoma was wrong with Spencer Rattler, and they didn't move off of him quickly enough. And it cost them because they didn't go to Caleb Williams sooner. And I'm I am wondering if whether it's Aaron Nolan, Lincoln Keenholz, or Devin Brown if any of these quarterbacks are the Caleb Williams to Kyle McCord, Spencer Rattler, potentially. That's not completely off the table, and you have to explore that all offseason. You have to explore it. But does Ryan Day view it that way? Does Ryan Day view it as, eh, Kyle McCord didn't maximize what I thought he could be? I, does Ryan Day still think there's another level Kyle McCord can get to? And so he doesn't have the open competition. No, this is just Kyle McCord's job. And I think that's where my struggle in trying to figure out what might happen this spring is, is how does he actually view the way Kyle McCord played this year? And how does he view where he can potentially get to going forward? So when he was asked about to assess McCord's performance after the game, I think we mentioned this on the postgame pod. He didn't really even give an assessment of his performance. He said like, well, we lost the rushing battle and we lost the turnover battle and you can't win the game that way. And so that to me says you didn't come out of this, the biggest game of the season with a, you know, with your brain didn't go straight to the good things that common Cord did. And there were good things that he did. Like you can, if you want to say that they lost that game because of the interception, I'll listen to that argument. They were in position to win it because of other plays that common Cord made later in the game. So as with many things, the nuance is important. I just think that I think you're right, Stephen, that if you're going to recruit the room this way, then it does have to be a competition to some extent, at least that, you know, Leaky Keenholz has put in his year here and deserves a chance to show where he is after one year. Aaron Nolan coming in, you can't just say, well, we've got some older guys. Can you just like go hang out by the pot machine or whatever? And like, and, and we'll not that they have pot machines anymore, whatever, but like, just go hang out somewhere and we'll come get you when we need a QB three at some point. Like, no, I think you put him right in the mix too. And like, see what competition brings out of him. Cause the, it, it's always about developing the room from top to bottom and seeing who comes out on top. That was the whole point of the, the, the eight months that led into opening day this year. And it's going to be the same thing between now and the start of next season. And, that competition probably also only helps Kyle McCord. I'd also don't think as you're trying to get the most out of Kyle McCord into this next year, I think you are, um, I think you need to 
make him feel that competition a little bit too. I don't think you're helping him by just saying, well, no, no, no question, no matter what, it's your job. I think he probably benefits from having to defend that job. It's, it's part of the pressure of, of the Ohio State. You know, Ryan Day, this is an analogy I was thinking as I read that question. Ryan Day has often talked about the quarterback. He's made this analogy multiple times that the quarterback position at Ohio State is like playing shortstop for the Yankees. And I hope he uses that example, that that as a as an example, because there's been a bunch of shortstops for the Yankees over the years that nobody gives a crap about. Like they just kind of like cycled through. They were like they were kind of good for a little while and then they moved on, you know, and um, or maybe they weren't good at all and they got rid of them quickly. And what you don't want to have is when you do have one of those guys like. Derek Jeter, like Derek Jeter was an amazing shortstop for the Yankees. And then when he had clearly lost a step, they left him at shortstop. I'm saying all around player. He was a Hall of Fame player. Like they I left know. him at shortstop longer than they should have. They kind of deferred to him. And I'm not, it's, it's not a great analogy because Common Court hasn't done Derek Jeter things analogous in football at this point in his life. But I also think that you need to, you have to recognize the accomplishments of someone. And then at the end of the day, the reason you're making the money you are Ryan day as the head coach and have this title and responsibility is to make the ruthless decisions when they're there. And so I think you're right, Steven, I think this has to be a thing where you take a look at every quarterback on the roster has to be a new assessment and see what's happening. And the, the, the interesting wrinkle of all of it is Devin Brown. Does Devin Brown come back in the spring and take another shot at the job? Or if, cause you, cause by all accounts, like the way Ryan Day talked about it last year, that thing was a tight competition, right? Back and forth. One of them was ahead. One of them was ahead. And, and, and he saw more consistency in everything from common court at the end of the day. So don't you have to, if you're Devin Brown and you think you were that close, mm-hmm. wouldn't you come back and make another run at it, at least in the spring? And then maybe they have to give him a, a, a more, a, a bigger assessment at the end of the spring because to ask somebody to maybe stick around for that third year and be a backup is tough. I think he's got a he's got a tough situation ahead of him. It was the way I looked at the, the situation Kyle McCord had, frankly, when like Quinn Ewers yeah. was being recruited in over him. Like it feels a little bit like that because then you, the the upside is always you end up being the quarterback at Ohio State. It's like one of the best jobs in all of college sports, like one of the best positions in all of college sports. And the downside is you barely play for three years. So I with- think that the Devin Brown is going to be in the position that Kyle McCord was in last year. And Lincoln Keenholz is going to be in the position that Devin Brown was in last year, where we, we kept saying, it's like, does Kyle McCord need to have an idea? of what's happening here by the end of the spring, because he's in year three and you're asking this dude to be a backup for a third straight year to a guy who is now younger than him. Now, Devin Brown wouldn't be being a backup to somebody who's younger than him, but maybe he might be depending on what Lincoln Keenholz looks like this spring, especially since this will be his first spring where Aaron Nolan looks like this spring, but Lincoln Keenholz, his situation is a little different because they brought him in with the understanding that there was always going to be a long-term development path here. Kyle McCord was brought in with, hey, you're going to be able to compete for a job right away. And if you don't win the job, you're going to sit for two years and then compete again. Hey, Devin, you're going to sit for a year and then you're going to compete for the job again. And then depending on how good Kyle McCord is, you might be competing once again in 2024. Aaron Nolan is just interesting because of the pedigree. But it, it, 
true freshman starting quarterbacks are still not that common yet. So we'll see with that one. I think another thing that makes this interesting is the schedule. Akron, Western Michigan, bye week. Marshall, at Michigan State, Iowa, Oregon, bye week. I'm wondering if, if this does become a competition again, especially since it's not a Big Ten road game like it was this past year, and it's two games where you're probably going to win by 30 points and then have a bye week, Ryan Day can legitimately use the 2024 schedule as a preseason and let this thing go through the first week of September before he actually locks in on a quarterback. Yeah, the the spring practice of this is going to be really interesting because you you want competition, you know, you want um, you know, you want guys to be able to push each other because if like if Devin Brown enters the portal, you know, next week or something like that, I mean, your your quarterback room for spring practice is McCord, Keenholz and and Nolan before you bring in anybody else. And that's a really interesting room and and you want Kyle McCord to be to be pushed. You want there to be, you know, an emphasis on Hey, Kyle, you don't you don't want to hand it to Kyle. You don't want to hand it to anybody. And I think Kyle McCord above anybody else kind of needs to have somebody kind of nipping at his heels a little bit. And I think Devin Brown would be kind of the right guy to do that. Um, I've actually never heard that Yankees analogy before playing shortstop for the Yankees. Um, interesting. Well, oh, it's funny because Derek Jeter, that many something times. that something that uh, Ohio State quarterbacks and Derek Jeter have in common is that neither of them play defense. So interesting. Just found that. Uh, yeah, this, found that this is the Orioles fan gave made made quite a face <laughs> when I suggested that Hall of Fame shortstop Derek Jeter was pretty good at baseball. Defensive run saved, baby. I don't know anything about baseball. Talk to me about <laughs> basketball, and then we can have a whole conversation. Let's let's end with this one. We we'll, we'll, we've got a couple more of these. We're going to do rapid fire for Tuesday and Wednesday spots, so we'll get to more of these for the Wednesday pod. Some of these ran long. I, I I knew the quarterback one would run run long. I didn't realize the coach one would. So that's on me. From Madeline in Pittsburgh, what should Ohio State be looking for in the portal? Nathan like what should they actually be look like what if you had to go positionally what types of players and what positions they should be looking to fill with the portal where would you look well considering what they're probably going to lose to the NFL I would say an elite player at every position it was you would take like there's no position where you wouldn't take an elite player right except maybe receiver now that's not always been the case like you could have had like good yeah. edge rushers last year and you would have been like well we've got sorry and tumalo and jackson's coming in behind caden curry like we're kind of good at defensive end like you might not have taken a, a another like a guy who thought that he was going to come here and play hundreds and hundreds of snaps right like you wouldn't just lie to that guy to get him to come here but i mean there's they're going to lose so much talent at literally every position that other than receiver where you are still pretty well stocked and someone may not think they could come here and be guaranteed of actually playing. Um, I just think that's, that's the position where it's, you, you don't assume that there are players out there who, who are going to need to transfer, who could actually beat out, uh, could actually play at Ohio state or better than what Ohio state has at that position. But at almost every other position you can see it. And that's not really because Ohio state hasn't necessarily developed those other positions. They're just losing so many guys this year. But, but if you're going to pin me down, I would say, in all caps, offensive line, you're looking for impact players on the offensive line. You are going to need 
some defensive line help. They obviously went and got Tywan Malone last year. He was kind of an afterthought this year. We thought there was going to be much more from him, and I'm not sure if that was just um, where he was in making this transition back into football full-time, but it was kind of not a great sign that he wasn't more, so they may need to go get some more help there. I think I'm open to tight end being a place where they could add if there's an impact player. because they're going to have Jelani Thurman, but they want to play two. And if you can get somebody who is, uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, tight ends don't want to come here because they don't get thrown the ball. But like you just did what you did with Cade Stover and you might have the same quarterback. You could probably talk somebody who wants to come in here and catch 50 balls into on a team that's going to probably contend for a conference championship again. Like, hey, we got a spot for you. And then safety and linebacker, those are more, um, that they're going to need, I think, some just some fortification there at the very least. Linebacker is the one that's maybe the biggest question mark as to what they actually have from a frontline standpoint. Because we just didn't see C.J. Hicks uh-huh. or Gabe Powers or anybody else play all that much behind the, the, the top three. Cody Simon has kind of talked about maybe coming back. But I think they probably need some addition there, even if it is just uh, a, a, a too deep addition. I think at safety, they need a Davis and Igbenosin type of transfer where it's not just for one year. Because, and this that is, that part would be of this very is helpful. A, yeah. Yeah. Cause this is not, this is partially recruiting. The recruiting that safety hasn't been great. And so, you know, Sonny Styles is a starter. You know, Malik Hartford's probably going to be a starter for you next year. Jihad Carter didn't show me things this year that's made me think, oh, he's for sure a 2024 starter and he's going to be a good 2024 starter. And Kai Stokes has gone from, spring of 2022 darling to who knows what's going on there so they could probably use a type of guy who can just like raise a level of competition in the room and compete for a starting position i'm with you on d line i was gonna say tight end because g scott can come back for his fifth year if he wants to come Mm -hmm. back but listen man that room we have sam hart has played one snap and it was in the peach bowl and he had no idea what he was doing out there. Joe Royer can't stay healthy. And Bennett Christian will be eligible again, I believe, next year. But even then, we just haven't seen anything there. So G. Scott and Jelani Thurman are probably your top two guys. But given the way that room has worked, you need some depth. You need a third, just in case things go wrong there. And I wouldn't, yeah, offensive line in all caps. And then underline and then bold and then made it like 79 font. And then I wouldn't be mad at a running back, to be honest with you, just because we don't know what guys are going to do. Maybe Evan, and this is, it's, it's tough sometimes talking about transfers with players, but when you've had the run that you've had here, maybe Evan Pryor just wants to press the restart button. Maybe so. But also that room has been injury plagued for two years now. So I don't think it's a bad idea to bring somebody else in just for the sake of saying you have five running backs in your room, depending on what Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams and Chip Trainum decide to do after this year. Yeah. So oh. I th- the, the point that I was going to make, you definitely need a quarterback in some way, shape or form because Jebby is gone and Devin Brown might go and you definitely need a quarterback as I mean, it's simple. You want to take the best quarterback you possibly can, but you definitely need a guy who 
you know, has not, you know, you can't get a guy who was in the 2023 recruiting class. I'll put it like that. Like you got to get a guy who is a little bit more experienced at the quarterback position. So I think that there's kind of a specific type of quarterback that you would want to get, you know, maybe an older guy. Um, I was going to say running back too, because I mean, Mayan Williams, Chip Tranum, Trevion Henderson, all those guys could go. And, you know, we've talked about this with running back. I would advise just kind of a general blanket statement. I know every case is different, but, you know, running back should try to get in, get out. And yeah, you feel good about what you have. You have James Peoples and you have Jordan Lyle coming in, but those guys are freshmen and you're about ready to rely on Dallin Hayden to be your starting running back and Evan Pryor and then two freshmen. That's not ideal. You would probably want a fifth in that room just with, like Stephen was saying, how much is there um left tackle left guard center right guard right tackle i think those are positions you should try to upgrade in the portal um any position that you can find on the offensive line i i struggle to find like what position ohio state would say no to upgrading you know if you find a great anyone on the offensive line who are you saying no to Uh, you know there's there's to me there's not an answer for that um, and then the last thing, just, I mean, I'm, I know I'm echoing a lot of what you guys said, but it just depends on the defensive line. I think you could use some edge help with, um, you know, especially if Jack Sawyer goes, you know, lose JT and Jack, you have Kenyatta Jackson, you have Caden Hurry, um, you have Alvarell Reese, you have some guys that you like that are younger, but you would like to have a little bit more stability there, I would assume. It's in, in some places it is just stability. In some places it is just going to sort of be depth. That's what I was saying about linebacker. Like maybe CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers are ready to just step in and be like, yeah, let's go. Like they, that's what they were recruited for. Maybe they're ready next year, but you're just thin behind that. And especially if Cody Simon doesn't st- decide to stick around, there are places where they need fortification. But there is also a, a, as as good as they were at so many positions this year, where you were like this roster at the top of so many different positions this year was as good as it had been since 2019. And with what they are going to lose, either to just the end of eligibility or guys who have a chance to jump early, so. Th- that's not going to be the case. So I'm I'm really curious if there are some Olaves this year that if the way that this season ended and I know people are holding out hope that it could be Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm very skeptical of that just because of the opportunity he will have. Um, it was that that's not Olave like, but if there's other guys who are like, well, like you might be a first rounder. But with NIL money, if you slip to like late second round, third round, uh, you know, uh, like is Denzel Burke a first round cornerback? That's maybe the best, not the best example, because I think he did have a great year. But you know what I'm saying? Like those other guys, those yeah. guys who are in the middle, the Mike Hall Juniors, the, mm-hmm. um, and who else would like Jordan Hancock, like those guys who, you know, do they see Emeka Buka, who we've mentioned before, like, because next year, this same season would play out in a completely different way. Like, if this season were happening next year, we would right now not be doing this podcast because we would be talking about the teleconference we just did with Ohio State players and coaches to get ready for the Big Ten Championship game that they're playing in this weekend, also happening to be against their fierce, bitter rival. And then an assurance that they're going to get their chance to play for the national championship through the 12 team tournament. Like I could see the appeal to that for players to say like, man, like that's not how we want to go out. We can't go out losing three in a row. 
We have to come back and take another shot at that. And then on top of the shot that you get against Michigan, that you're guaranteed of getting on Thanksgiving weekend, what circumstances next year don't have Ohio State in the playoff? Like, I don't think this excess of talents takes them all the way back down to where they don't make the playoff. So you're assured of getting that, getting on that stage. Like, I think that could be appealing to guys, not the guys who are like guaranteed to go at the top of the first round. I think that's tough, but guys who are where it's a little bit riskier as far as where they actually land. I don't know. I could see them, see them. I could see them. I could see that appealing to maybe it's just one guy, but that could make a big difference depending on who it is. I think the mass exodus is less about can they make the playoff and more about can this team, does this team have enough depth that when you get to December, it can kind of make a run in the playoff. I'm more looking at it like that going forward, especially in the trenches where it's, it's already, we, this games are running one in the trenches, but like, I don't think we're going to be able to overstate how much defensive lines how much depth at that position is going to be important in a 12 team playoff when you're trying to win two, three games to win a national title. And I think, so I think about it more from that standpoint than thinking that, Oh, this team might be so depleted that they go nine and three or eight and four and don't make the 12 team playoff. That'll wrap up this pod. We'll come back for more rapid fire on the Wednesday pod as well. We're just giving you guys spaces to ask some questions right now, as we get through this week of kind of unknown, Right now, it will be more finality coming out of the championship weekend on Sunday, and we'll know whether Ohio State can make the playoff or if they're headed to potentially the Orange Bowl as a New Year's Six Bowl, and we'll maybe find out if guys are opting in or opting out to playing in that Orange Bowl as well. But also, it's award season, so all Big Ten lists are coming out, and as you're listening to this, the defense of awards are coming out for the Big Ten all in the um, all Big Ten defense and then player of the year and linebacker of the year and all that stuff. So that will be coming out. And then on Thursday, I think offensive stuff comes out as well. And I'm pretty sure Ohio State will have some offensive guys and maybe some defensive guys too. So get the text 614-350-3315. That news will come to your phone first before anywhere else. Two-week free trial, $399 after that. So for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.